Hello and welcome to an ECFR podcast. My name is Katrina Botel and here we will be speaking to François Gaudemont, one of the authors of Chapter 5's Asia and China from our Scorecard 2015 publication. The publication where we've given our annual assessment of Europe's performance upon dealing with issues from across the globe. Last year, relations between the EU and Asia were expanded through the EU's confirmation of a free trade pact negotiation with Japan and an agreement on joint action involving global security, along with the participation in peacekeeping efforts with South Korea. François Gaudemont, director of ECFR's China and Asia programme, believes that the emphasis on EU relations with China, on the other hand, was mostly on investment, which caused some disagreements. Frankly, most things with China went wrong, uh, to put it quite simply, perhaps explained partly by the fact that this is also a transition year in EU institutions, and our Chinese partners pay a lot of attention to people, to continuity. If they see that there is going to be a gap, that something is going to, cha- to change, then they just withhold decisions and even sometimes talk uh, So the EU probably didn't get much formally out of China uh, this year. In addition, uh, and this is a new development from the situation we had in Europe uh, at the time of the euro crisis, what I would call the scramble for Chinese investment uh, is spreading from South and Eastern Europe uh, into core European countries. So that what we see is both Uh, uh, a general turn favoring Chinese investment, which in itself is not necessarily bad. Uh, uh, There is actually a lot of capital outflowing from China and it can uh, do wonders uh, for our economies. But the problem is that it's been more a kind of mad race uh, by diverse European countries and firms to catch that investment. This hurts, of course, the approach by an integrated policy since what is there left to negotiate, to bargain, uh, if there's no door to open at all. And we we register the contradiction uh, that Europe, since the Lisbon Treaty, can now uh, have a handle on, on, on foreign investment into Europe. But in practice, this is fragmented and broken up among member states. Looking at the different categories that Asia and China got scores for, such as human rights, climate change and maritime security, to name just a few, much bigger progress has been made in another area. I think the biggest change is the development of political and security relations by some EU members and with some joint declarations at the EU level with countries such as Japan, Korea and marginally India. Uh, it's a development separate from China. Uh, it does not mean we emphasize, since we have a, a, a separate file on maritime security, there is a sense of political security, of political cooperation and security cooperation that's growing. That is clear. With China, I think the results have to be appreciated uh, very pragmatically, country to country. They are economic, uh, but again. Uh, if one can 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 feel that the uh, expansion of Chinese investment in Europe is a good thing, the way it is done uh, hampers the hand or the leverage that Europeans might have with Chinese negotiators. It also hampers the ability 
to expand our foothold in China itself. But there are also areas of relations between the EU and the Asia and China region that need polishing. I think we could reconnect, we should first reconnect better with our uh, Central and Eastern Europe member states that uphold this summit every year with China. Why? Because these are these Central and Eastern Europe member states are often the most vocal and insistent that we sanction Russia and the, you know the most adamant that we've got to stop Russia and Ukraine. But on the other hand, they seek Chinese investment. They try and promote very good relations with China. China has an interest in investing in Eastern Europe, and this should be leveraged to obtain from China a little more distance with Russia's positions over Ukraine. So I think this would be a, a, a valid policy objective, just as it's pretty important for Europeans to uh, sort of sort of reward Japan and Korea uh, for upholding the sanctions on, on Russia and Ukraine. Last year, China acknowledged the threat of ISIS in the Middle East, but ruled out any form of engagement in the fight against the terror group. Although some argued... This could be in exchange for the EU's neutrality on Asian issues. China's, China has really thrown its lot with Iran, uh, and so by extension with Assad and, and, and the Syrian regime, but not too strenuously. Uh, it has indicated, and not recently over the past two years, that it would in fact take just about any regime that comes into uh, Damascus. But I think it sees the Near East and the Middle East as a trap uh, for the West. Uh, if things good come out from Western intervention, well, that will solve the issues of the three evils, as the Chinese call it, uh, radicalism, integrism, and terrorism. Uh, if the West fails, well, then the West will be failed in the Near East and Middle East and will be that much less influential in East Asia. Which is where Asia, which is where China wants to predominate. Uh, so on the whole, uh, it lets events develop. Uh, you will note that it is uh, pretty much spared also by terrorist movements, uh, at least from the Middle East and Near East. Uh, it's got its problem with Xinjiang fighters, uh, but it 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 is almost afforded the neutrality, uh, including by IS, which has, on the, on the other hand, recently kidnapped Japanese uh, nationals. You can find a download of our publication, Scorecard 2015, as well as background information to our annual scorecard research and the full data on our website at ecfr.eu scorecard.